Welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Palview Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. And we're going through a series in the book of Hebrews from the New Testament. And um, this is our eighth week. So it's been a pretty fascinating study so far. It's one of those that uh, is challenging because you can either stay at the surface level to say that Jesus is greater than all of these things that we found uh, as part of the Jewish faith in the Old Testament, which is the foundations of our faith. Or you can spend some time really digging deep, and that's what we've been doing. And so sometimes uh, we, we've looked at one verse. Sometimes we've looked at one word. And uh, and so, uh, but today we are going to actually cover uh, quite a few verses in chapter three. Hey, have you ever heard the uh, phrase question authority? That was a mantra of the peaceniks of the 1960s. You know, they were all about free love and peace and love and dope. You know, and they didn't want anybody to tell them what to do. Question authority. You know, I, I find it ironic because all of those people who said question authority, they're now an authority. And now they've changed their tune. They've said, hey, no, don't question us you know, because we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. You can't tell us what to do. Boy, that's that's become something very commonplace in our culture, hasn't it? I mean, and, and it's even crept its way into the church where people don't like to see the lordship of Jesus. Oh, they, they love the salvation that they get from Jesus. They, they love Jesus as Savior. But they missed this whole idea that even Jesus said, hey, if you're going to come to me, you need to follow me. And we have somehow replaced following Jesus with just believing in Jesus, not realizing that what the Bible writers meant by believing is something totally different than just a mental assent. Now, no one would know better about what it means to actually have one's faith stifled, destroyed, devastated by a sense of rebellion, saying, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, I don't like the lordship of Jesus. Really? Well, that's what it means to be a follower, is you've got to acknowledge the lordship. And no one could give you a better testimony as to where that leads to and where you end up than the nation of Israel that had come out of bondage in Egypt. Now, last week we, we saw that even though Moses is very much respected and honored today, although the respect that he gets today is due to the watering down of the commands from God, uh, where the rabbinical traditions actually superseded, that they are seen as better than the actual law that God gave, um, uh, the oral tradition or the oral Torah being better than the written Torah. And, and that actually happens in, in our culture as well, you know. I know that the Bible says this, but, you know, this is my situation. I'm going to interpret it. I'm going to interpret the, the scripture to help me in my situation. You know, and that's kind of how they, they did that as well. But anyways, but again, even though people really respect Moses today, back in that first Exodus generation, they did not respect jo uh, Moses at all. They complained. They rebelled. They, they demanded a, a recount. They, they wanted to vote again, right? Uh, they even said it would be better for us to go back to slavery in Egypt. In, in other words, they would rather not get to the land. The land, by the way, that is being fought over today as we speak. They didn't even want to go there. Okay, They wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt. And you can imagine that at some point in the, in the game, God had had enough. He says, that's it. 
I'm done with these people. Now, chapter 3 of Hebrews actually harkens back to that point in, in Israel's history. A time where their hearts had been hardened and, and their rebellious spirit was being fueled. In fact, the author is comparing what was going on in his day with these Hebrew converts wanting to leave the faith and, and go back to Judaism, to go back to self-righteousness, to go back to the law as a means by which they could be made right with God, throwing away Jesus' sacrifice for them. He says, man, that's kind of like what was going on back in Moses' day. He's connecting these two things here. Um, he's essentially saying that just as following Moses out of Egypt did not guarantee somebody a spot in the promised land, then likewise, just because you began to trust Jesus at some point of your life doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be uh, experiencing the kind of salvation that God wants you to have. Yes, it's true. Even some of the chosen people, God's elect, if you will, did not get to see the promised land. They did not get to experience the rest that God had predestined them to experience. Right. And by the way, this includes Moses himself. Right. Because even Moses forgot about trusting God at one point and relied more on his own efforts, his own wisdom, his own strength, rather than relying on doing the way uh, things the way that God had told him to do them. But an entire generation, an entire generation of Israelites were prevented from realizing God's ultimate plan of salvation and promised rest. Why? Because of their rebellious spirit and their hard heart. So we're going to read how the author lays out his argument, and we're going to connect the Hebrews of his day, and maybe even the people of faith in our day. Uh, to, we're going to connect them with, this, with the Israelites who were tempted to go back to Egypt rather than realize what God had uh, in store for them by entering into the promised land. So here we go. Starting in verse 7 of chapter 3, we read these words. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, here's another, yet another reference to the Psalms from the book of Hebrews, okay? Uh, th this time, it's one that we actually studied this last summer in our Psalms series that we went through. Uh, this is the one, Psalm 95, where we get the song, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand, just the sheep of His hand. And immediately following that praise, come let us worship and bow down. Immediately following that is this uh, passage that the author of Hebrews quotes today, if you hear his voice. So, in other words, right after this psalm of praise comes this ominous warning. Now, may, maybe it's because the psalmist began to see in his day, boy, we're acting like Moses' generation, that Exodus generation, and, and and if we're going to if we're going to uh, guard ourselves against hardness of heart and a rebellious spirit, well then we better bow down, kneel before the Lord. By the way, 
by the way, um, kneeling and bowing down, those are positions of submission, by the way, right? But the author says, oh, so today, if you hear his voice. Now, remember, he began this whole thing by saying, in the past, God spoke to various degrees and in various times through the prophets, never complete. But in these last days, he's speaking through his son. So today, if you hear his voice, which means if you're listening to the son, if you're following the son, that's what it means to today if you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing the wilderness. Now, again, he's quoting Psalm 95. But the psalm, actually, if you looked at Psalm 95 itself, it actually names the place, not just the day of rebellion. It actually goes to the specific time and place. Calls it Meribah and Massah. Now, those two names, by the way, are not the original names of this place. The original place was called Rephidim. And in Rephidim, there the people quarreled and they tested. They quarreled against God's leadership and they tested his patience. And so Moses gave this nickname to the place and he calls it Meribah and Masa. Now, I want to read for you real quick uh, Exodus chapter 17, because this is what... This, this is what was going on. Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandments of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled Meribah with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel, Meribah, with me? And why do you test Masa, the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking uh, with you some of the elders of Israel. Take your hand, in your hand, the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there, on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling, Meribah, of the people of Israel, and because they tested Massa, the Lord, by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? All right, so Meribah means quarreling. Massa means testing. Marabah means that you think you know better, and you're going to argue your point. It's kind of like, there was a lot of Marabah in my family when I was a teenager. Mom and Dad wanted me to go down a certain path, and and I was there knowing that I couldn't totally rebel against them. And so I spent most of my time Marabah, quarreling with them to show them that they were wrong. Okay, Which, of course, led to Masa, uh, testing. Masa means testing. So Mom and Dad were definitely tested. Their patience was tested with my Meribah, with my quarreling. It was not a fun time in the Hinkle household. <laughs> and so the Israelites, whom God had rescued from a life of bondage in Egypt, right? God, who was leading them into this land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, these Israelites Meribahed against his leadership and Masad his patience. Mm. And you know what's worse? This is not the only time that they did this. There, there are other times where 
uh, location is called Meribah. See, this is Meribah at Rephidim. But if you uh, jump to Numbers 27, you read of a Meribah in Kadesh. So this means that this was a pattern of behavior for these people. It didn't just happen once. It, it seems like in their sinful spirits, they just would not be satisfied. They wanted food. So God gave them food. Miraculous. They didn't have to plow the ground. They didn't have to harvest or, or reap or anything like that. God gave them this, this bread-like substance called manna, which meant, what is this? But eventually they came to loathe manna. Oh, you're feeding us, but we hate it. We want meat. God says, oh, you want meat? I'll give you so much meat that it's going to come out of your nostrils. And he did. And then they wanted better water than, than what they would have had. You know, uh, and more than once, God provided that water for them. But they're still not satisfied. They, they don't like the leadership that God has provided for them. They don't, they don't want to follow the plan that he has for them. They, they think they, they, they know better which sounds so familiar to me. <laughs> that was my teenage years. They demand to go back. The rebellious spirit finally culminates in Numbers chapter 13. This is the high point of their rebellion. God had told them, here's the land. Why don't you take one person from each of the 12 tribes, 12 spies, let them go look at the land to tell you that I told you this is a great land. They're going to they're confirm everything that I told you to do. So they do. And, and God, maybe was hoping that they'd get excited for this and they'd see the lay of the land and then go in and take it like how he wanted them to. But when they came back, when those 12 spies returned, only two of them, a guy named Joshua and a guy named Caleb, only two of them understood God's empowerment that was behind the command to go. See, when God tells you to go, he's going to give you the power to go and, and to accomplish what he wants you to do. So they say, they recognize that. They say, hey, this is great land. God's giving it to us. Let's go. The other ten says, uh-uh, not worth the risk. Yeah, it is a great land. But we can't take this. There's giants in that land. It's not worth the risk. So in, in, in Numbers chapter 14, the complaint that we read last week from Exodus 16 is echoed once again. Listen, to the it's eerily familiar. Listen to the language. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Oh, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would we had, would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is Jehovah bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Man, that sounds like a broken record. Right. And I could just imagine God just sighing out of frustration. <sighs> he initially threatens to just wipe them out. Okay, But Moses, being a faithful leader who loves God's people, to his credit, actually pleads for mercy. He says, God, you cannot wipe them out. You'll look bad if you wipe them out. So God says, good point. And he relents in wiping them out. But he does still pronounce judgment on them uh, against that whole Exodus generation. Um, reading from uh, the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 16. Uh, uh, listen listen what God says. Uh, Numbers 16, um, starting in verse 26. This is, what, uh, this is what we read. Moses spoke to the congregation. 
saying, um, oh, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is not number 16. It's going to be numbers 14. I'm going to read numbers 14. Sorry about that. This, this is why we do these things. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, and they have grumbled against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord Jehovah, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number, listed in the census, from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring those people in. They shall know the land that you rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for every day, you shall bear your iniquity for forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. See that some of the chosen people, the elect of God, did not enter the predestined promised land because of their lack of faith, because of their rebellion. They did not trust that God could do this. You know, it's almost like what we read of in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus tells of a people who thought that they were on his side. They thought they were saved, and yet they were sadly mistaken. Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 Jesus! Paul says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. Well, okay. Maybe, maybe what Paul is saying is, is that if you actually do confess it, that will lead you to live a life of being saved, right? <laughs> Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. But the one who does the will of my Father, keep that one in mind, the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. By the way, according to Jesus' own words recorded in John chapter 6, you know what the uh, will of my Father, only the one who does the will of my Father, you know what the will of the Father is? Jesus said, the will of the Father is to believe in the Son. But again, not just a mental assent, but to believe. Because the Bible writers, whenever they talked about belief or faith, there was always an action, always an action connected to it. Okay. Now that makes sense that you've got to, you can't just say Lord. You've got to make him Lord. You've got to actually follow him. The, the, the faith that should have led the Israelites to the Sabbath rest of the promised land, salvation, that faith is the same faith that should lead us to salvation, but it's a faith that requires us to be followers. Otherwise, we wouldn't get there. If we aren't following, how are we going to get where God wants us to go? How can we get there? 
you're not going to get there. So, so when, when the Bible writers talk about faith, there is some action always connected to it. It's, it's like if I asked you, uh, if I, you know, I say, you know, there's wherever you are listening to this, there's a bomb that's going to go off in 10 minutes. Now, if you believed me, if you believed me, you would do something, wouldn't you? You wouldn't just sit there going, doop, 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 for 10 minutes. No, if you truly believed it, you would do something. That's the kind of faith that the Bible writers talk about, okay? Faith, according to the Bible, compels you to do. As Jesus would teach in the Sermon on the Mount, if there is no action, then there is no evidence of salvation. By their fruit, you will know them, right? Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about earning your salvation through your actions. No, 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 no. I'm talking about evidencing your salvation by your actions. Like, you're saved, so show me that you're saved, right? Don't, don't earn your salvation. God's given that to you. It's a free gift. But if you're not producing fruit, if you're not following him, then are you really, truly saved? Um. The author continues, though, in, in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be any uh, uh, of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if... Indeed, we hold our original confidence until the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was God provoked for 40 years? Wasn't it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Did you catch how many times the word today is used in that? <laughs> today, today. What that tells me is that the author of Hebrews is, is connecting what was happening back in Moses' day to what's happening in his day. By the way, we can do the same thing today. Rebellion is a faith killer. Okay? Rebellion is a faith killer. It is. How did the rebellion come about? What's the cause of the rebellion? The author says that rebellion is caused by an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, in our culture, we can say somebody is an unbeliever, but not evil. But in the author's mind, those two things are connected. If you're not going to believe, that's evil. That is evil. Um, it's as if my unbelief, my unwillingness to follow God will lead me away from what God wants me to do. And anywhere God is not, that's where evil is. It, it, it's like, you know, there's no such thing as cold. It's just the absence of heat. You know, there's no such thing as darkness. It's just the absence of light. You can say that there's no such thing as evil. It's just the absence of God. Where God is not, where God has been pushed away, the only thing that's going to be there is evil. It's a godlessness, right? Now, this might be a little unsettling for some of you listening to me today. Because the author speaks of falling away from God. Falling away. Now, a lot of Christians have come to the conclusion that since Jesus said, no one will snatch us from his hand, John chapter 10, right. then once we're saved, then we're always going to be saved. 
that that were, were secure. Um, and I can see if that's the only thing that you heard from Jesus is no one can snatch them from my hand. If that's the only thing he ever said, then I can see that, yeah, you have a point. And yet he says so many other things about following him. What do you do with those uh, the, the verses that warn us about falling away from the living God? How, how can we connect those ideas to actually make sense? Well, first of all, we need to acknowledge, go back to the gospel and go back to the bad news before the good news. We need to acknowledge our sinful nature. You see, you and I were actually born in our flesh. We were born into spiritual death. Romans 3. We have already charged that all, both Greek and Jew, are under sin. As it is written in Psalm 53, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, and no one does good, not even one. So we start out our life spiritually dead, unable to save ourselves. That's why we need forgiveness, the forgiveness that is found through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But we also need the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The, The people who came out of bondage in Egypt. That was only part of the plan. They died before they got to the next part of the plan. Whoops. The gift of God, as told by Jesus to Nicodemus in John 3.16, is a reversal of your spiritual death. You can come back to life. You can have eternal life raised out of spiritual death into new life. But that means a renewed heart, a revived heart. And because of Meribah and Massa, the mess at Massa, the people betrayed what was in their heart. They hadn't changed. They, they had not truly been saved. They still were dead in their hearts, dead in their sinful nature. They were not regenerated. They didn't trust God. And so, in a very real sense, they refused to follow where he led them. Can that be said of us? That seems to be the, the point that the author is making here. In verse 14, he says, hey, we will share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Their original confidence was the good news that Jesus had done for them what they could not have done for themselves. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of God's law. Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. And to offer us then the gift of the Holy Spirit that will regenerate us and make us like brand new. So that God's law can now be written on our hearts. See, this is the original confidence. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. But these guys that the author is writing to are being tempted to go back to the law to be justified. They're their own efforts to their own self-righteousness. And by going back to the law to be justified, that was like saying, well, yeah, you gave us food, but we want meat. Yeah, you gave us meat, but we want some better water. Or, yeah, 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 the promised land is beautiful and bountiful, but uh, it's going to be hard. Faith is hard, folks. Okay? Jesus said that he has a burden. Now, his burden is light. But it is not, he says it's a narrow road and not too, not everybody's going to get there. It's not just a prayer that you say at, 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 a, at a Billy Graham conference and that's it. It's not. 
It's not, there is no place in scripture that says, just say this prayer and you're fine. It doesn't ever say that. Right. There, it, it, faith is difficult. Grace is easy. Faith is difficult. And so, um, once again, we see this conditional statement. We have this incredible gift if we hold on, if we stand firm, if we fix our thoughts on Jesus, if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in the hope found in the, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. He's saying the same thing over and over and over and over again, guys. Don't walk away from Jesus as your source of life. But notice it's something that we have to hold on to. Now, not because we're worried about somebody coming and stealing. That's what Jesus meant in John 10, where he says, hey, listen, I've saved you. No one can, no one, the enemy cannot snatch you away from my hand, but that doesn't mean that you can't make a choice to wander away. Right? In the same vein, I, I believe that there's no sin so great to make Jesus say, that's it, I'm throwing this guy away. Jesus gave us a promise that he would always be with us. To the end, he would never leave us. He will never forsake us. He went through this whole thing so that he could serve as a high priest who is aware of our weaknesses. So I'll sin. Jesus doesn't go, that's it. That was it. That was the final straw. Jesus doesn't say that. He still makes an intercession for me. He still is my go-between so that I can approach the Father's throne. I don't fear for my salvation because I have not achieved <laughs> sinless perfection. But what I do conclude from this passage is it's possible for me to make a choice to walk away from my commitment to following him and no longer trust in him for my righteousness, but to go back to it's on me. And the Hebrew author says, good luck with that. I guess you could say that though this is possible, true believers, though, don't have to worry about that. I don't believe if you're really, truly following after Jesus, you don't have to live in fear of messing up one too many times. Because through it all, even in the midst of struggle against sinful habits, true believers will hold on. They will hold fast to their confidence in Jesus. They will fix their thoughts on Jesus. And why wouldn't they? Because once you enter, once you experience the rest that God leads us into, once we experience the sweetness of the fellowship that we have with our Creator, there's a change in our hearts. We become softened to the voice of the shepherd. You know, back to John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow. Follow me. They've become in tune with the leading of God's Spirit. And as they follow after what God wants them to do in their life as husbands, as wives, as, as employers, as, as uh, members of a church, whatever it is, as we continue to, to follow after that, it grows sweeter as the days go by. This is how the relationship with God that works when grace saves us and faith allows us to follow. Now, there's going to be ebbs and flows and ups and downs, of course. But as you and I learn to more consistently worship and bow down, I think, again, it's a position of submission. Kneeling before the Lord our God, our Maker, then the Spirit, as we submit, will continue to shape us and mold us and produce in us 
the joy, love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, all of those fruits make us more into the image of Jesus. And our lives then will evidence the fact that we are saved. So in conclusion, how do you know if you're rebellious or if your heart is hard? Should you fear for your salvation if you've had a bad day and you said a bad word, you, 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 you fell to sin again? No. Remember, Jesus actually offers rest when we come to him. Remember, he's a high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses. And though the fruit of the Spirit should be something that is developed in our life, the way that we live, our integrity and all of that stuff, we must also learn to rest in the grace that will always be available for those whose heart is still pliable and willing to trust and follow Jesus. Probably a better question than, how do you know if you're rebellious or should, should I fear for my salvation? Maybe a better question for those of us who are in the faith community is this. What's the condition of my heart? Let's start there. Because remember, God wanted to take the law from the stone tablets and actually put it on people's hearts. That our hearts would be soft enough for him to be able to do that. Are we growing closer in our connection with our God? Or are we stuck in the wilderness? Is there a temptation for us to go back to Egypt, to, to the way things once were? Uh, are, are we trusting in our own efforts in order to be saved? Um, or are we excited to actually be moving ahead as God's Spirit leads us so that we can eventually get to the Promised Land and His promised Sabbath rest, which we'll talk about next week? Can we be like Joshua and Caleb, who out of all the 12 spies said this? I love what they said in Numbers 13. They said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Isn't that great? God's got some great stuff in store for His people today. So today, if you're hearing his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't mess, make the mess at Massa by not obeying. As a Christian, you can harden your heart against God. You can. But don't. Don't. Lest you miss the blessings that God wants to give to you. The lessons that he wants to teach you. The faith that he's trying to build into your life. Now remember I said at the beginning of the message that rebellion is a faith killer. Well, Try to remember this. Just like rebellion is a faith killer, your faith, your faith in God's guidance and his power and his ability can actually kill your rebellion. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah rebellion can kill your faith, but your faith can kill your rebellion as well. You can turn it around. Instead of rebelling, killing our faith, your faith can actually annihilate the sinful nature that wants to rebel against what God has said. When we let God be God, when we let him have full access to every area of our life, when we uh, allow him to speak into our lives, then when we trust him where he leads us, even if the circumstances are a bit scary, when these things happen, you'll find yourself actually following closer than you've ever thought imaginable. And get this, actually enjoying it. Avoiding sin and enjoying avoiding sin because you're following where he leads. And that's what this whole thing about being a Christian is all about. All right. Well, that's the message for us today. Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, uh, Lisa uh, Welly, uh, for uh, helping us uh, be the executive producing uh, part of this. 
Uh, thank you, Steve Pittman, for being our tech guru. Uh, I want to thank Ron uh, Becker for listening to my, uh, my my sermons and praying for me as I do that. Uh, when you heard the voices today, that was Ron. Uh, I was preaching to him so that he knows how to pray for our people as as I preach to the people. So anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. If you're ever in our area, uh, you are invited to, to come to the church. Find more about us at uh, powerbutchurch.com and uh, we will talk with you next week.